Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux episode 220. What is a Lang Syne, anyway? Recorded November 21st, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week are your two stalwart co hosts, Chris, the Command Line Godfather, Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the insanity that is Everyday Linux. Yes, even if it is for the last time. That's true. Welcome, one and all. This is, in fact, the last time you will hear that intro. This is the last episode of 2015 and the last episode of Everyday Linux. Don't panic. We're not going anywhere. We're just changing the name, rebranding a little bit starting at the beginning of the year. Uh, but... Uh, programming note we're actually recording this as you might have heard in the intro on november 21st but you're listening to it on december 30th that's so that we can have the week of christmas off so we uh everything you hear at this point is a month old so don't come back i don't want to hear any feedback saying well that's all old news yes i'm telling you it's old news yes we probably won't do anything about it (laughs) We purposely even got older news stories, so it's like it's freaking ancient news. And you know, Mark, I've realized that if you've ever listened to a radio station that changed call, you know, it like went from whatever number to whatever number. That's basically all we did. Yep. We moved down the dial a little bit, so from the E's to the G's. And you're not even going to have to change the the preset on your on your radio because the feed will continue to work. I'm going to change the feed, but it will redirect uh so that you're if you're subscribed to the old feed it'll work just fine. However, fair warning that may cause your podcaster to notice everything that we've ever done all 220 episodes as new. Please don't complain about that. It just Oops. bees that way sometimes. Yeah, that's the uh, limitation of the medium. The RSS leads are kind of they they kind of do that every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, I've I mean I've had podcasts that I listen to they just change their website, just do a, a redirect, I mean a a redesign and that happens because it mm-hmm. essentially when you move something one from one folder to another, it gets a new date and timestamp and your podcatcher goes, "Oh, new stuff. Episode 1." <laughs> Brand new. <laughs> no, no, don't go back to episode 1. <laughs> All right. So, um that's that's all I'm gonna say. It's it's the end of it, and I and uh, I I have heard I've heard your feedback. Um, most of you, uh, in fact, as we're recording this, I only announced the new name last week ago. It's going to be called Geek Rant, um, and I've gotten surprisingly little comment on that. I, I expected more, but much of what I've heard is what change the name, just don't change the show. I can't make that promise. The reason we're changing the name is that the show has changed because the show is largely about the three guys sitting here and we change. We're not static individuals. So I can't promise you, uh, actually, I started to say I can't promise you that the, at the end of next year it'll be the same show. It, it's the other way around. I can promise you it won't be because we'll be different people <laughs> with different interests and different passions. But I have no intention of radically making a left turn into a different direction. We're going to keep doing what we do. We're going to keep enjoying uh, the, each other and enjoying the work. Uh, but the name, as, as I've said so many times before, I think we're just truing up the name to what the show is instead of the other way around. Yep. 
Yeah. Now, if Apple decides they want to sponsor us and pays us a lot of money, then I will start loving Apple. You know, I <laughs> that mean, would have to be a really, really big number. I, I'm, just I, 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 I'm not cheap, but I am for sale. So uh, there, there would need to be probably seven digits in that number for me to no, start. Still not even enough. That's still I would not do enough. it for six. You know, yeah. I don't think I could. I, I, if I netted six, I would have to net six, and then I would. I would uh, I would take a softer line towards Apple. <laughs> nope, no, sorry, I couldn't do it. Um, when when Apple starts making products I can afford, then I'll start giving Apple a fair shake. I can't truly review their stuff because I can't afford to buy any of their stuff. But why would you waste the money on it anyway? Well, I don't know. It may be out freaking <laughs> standing, right? But I'll never know because I can't afford to pay for it. All right. Well, maybe maybe when all your kids are gone to college and they're on their own, maybe then you can afford it. <laughs> when they all become doctors and lawyers yes. and they're taking See? care of you, then you can afford it. When you're spending their money, I like it. Yeah, I, I, all right, I'm not going to go there. I started to say something <laughs> crass, but I won't. Um, books, books everywhere. Both of you have comments about our, uh, I'm assuming, audio books, audible.com, uh, elementop.com slash audible. Check them out. Uh, Chris, you, you have, there's too many there for you to choose from. There is. Um, I was making the comment before the show. I was just kind of going through my list of books in my, in my current own queue and the large monstrosity that I've done to myself as a wish list queue. Um, as of this point in time, I have seven pages of wish list, and I am in book overload. Um, <laughs> I I just don't even know where to go anymore when it comes to what which ones to start reading or which ones to pick up. So, uh, I'm about ready to scrap the whole list and start fresh. So, if you guys have any new ones that you want to send this way, I'm more than more than willing to listen or to take into in advice. But, uh, I'm a fantasy type guy so keep that in mind if you're going to send any thoughts this way i just started a new john ringo uh series um uh, march up country uh it's uh, oh yes john Love ringo that. and somebody weber uh, david weber david weber um i'm only uh a little bit in a couple of chapters in chapter 15 so uh it, you know it's the prince um, rogers prince series. roger yeah um it's it's fine uh I really, really enjoyed his uh, Hot Gate trilogy, or not Hot Gate, the Troy Rising series. Hot Gate was the last one in it. Uh, this is is a departure from it, but it obviously has the same flavor of the same author. Uh, but I just decided I needed another. I have for for a while now. I've been doing onesie twosies. Decided I needed another uh, series to sink my teeth in. Uh, so I look for that when I go to Audible. I look for uh, you know book one of seven. You know, because I know that uh, often I'm listening to these things even a decade or more, 20 in the case of the Enders game series, you know, three decades later. So it's nice to know that that they're, they're not going to leave me hanging. There's not going to be any cliffhangers. There's always another book in the series. Yeah. I ran into yeah. that a lot when I was reading the Hard Magic series because I was right on the cusp of I'd read the last book and then I'd have, be like, oh, where's the next one? And then two months later, the next one would show up. So. I know I when I was reading the Twilight behind. books, I get, no, wait, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that was, that was sad. Uh, no, I loved, I loved the Prince Roger series. I, I loved it. So you will probably like it. Um, yeah. Well, it, a, you, uh, this is not a spoiler because it's obvious from the construct of the book. This is a, um, uh, guy with very little redeeming quality finds himself and becomes something else. 
um, you know, uh, a spoiled brat becomes a leader kind of thing. And I'm still in the area where he's a spoiled brat and he's really hard to like. But if if Ringo is doing his job, that's how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to like him yet, and I'm going to like him later. Uh, yeah. In the case of um, the uh, Lost Fleet series, uh, Jack, uh, Black Jack uh, Geary, you liked him instantly because the story kind of required you to. Uh, yep, so it's just right. just different storytelling. But it's a similar yeah. concept from the sounds of it then. just starts further back. Yeah. So Seth, what you you have you tried listening at faster speeds? Is that well, what that I've, means? Yeah, I'm building up. I am currently at 1.6. I'm going to jump it up to 1.7 next week. At 1.6, the when people talk in an accent, like when their accent is thick, it's a little bit troubling. But I just I started, you know, at 1.1, and then I would listen to it for a week, and then I would do 1.2 for a week. Is this podcasts? Yeah, this yeah. is everything. Um, I just okay. everything that I can on my audio. I just and you know, and I notice I look down to some of my feeds that don't come out every day. I go, wait a minute, why is this guy sound so slow? <laughs> yeah. And then you don't realize it, but if you try to repeat some of the things that you know they say to repeat, and then you're like having to just you can't keep up with. But it makes sense when you hear them talk, right. and so yeah, it's just one of those things. Anybody can do this. I mean, if I'm up to 1.6 and I'll be at 1.7 soon, it's a great way to, to listen to stuff quicker and get done. So, you know, like an hour podcast, I can finish in 40 minutes. So, yeah, I do. Uh, I'm at 2.2 right now. Um, and laughing sounds mechanical and weird. Uh, but speech, <laughs> speech, it, it's weird because it sounds perfectly normal to me. And when I speak to you right now, you sound perfectly normal to me. But when I put on my headphones and listen to one of our shows at regular speed, you sound like you're talking like this. Um, nice. But right now, my brain says, oh, this is live. This is, sounds perfectly normal. But if I try to listen to you uh, on a podcast at regular speed, my brain shifts. Is It's in another gear and I just can't do it. Yeah, and music too. Whenever they're doing music, music yes. sounds bad. Once you get over about three or four, the music just and yeah. it's just like that's techno. <laughs> they're Skrillex almost. But uh, just recently, I ran out of podcasts. I just I had nothing. Um, I had gone through all my stuff. Um, for I had had more time at my desk than I normally do, and that's when I do most of my podcast listening. I was done. I didn't have anything else. Um, and so I went and subscribed to some stuff, but because I was, I didn't want to burn through them really quickly. Uh, I slowed it back down to one X and was, you know, trying to, you know, an eight hour, eight hours of podcast in an eight hour day. And it was painful. It, it, I couldn't do it. It was so unpleasant for me that I just, I sped it back up to 2.2 and then listened to music for the rest of the day. Well, what I do when I add a podcast, when I get caught up, I like go back way in the past. Right. Um, and so like, I might start that podcast like, um, the Bane Free Radio Hour, I added that one because like half the podcasts, they talk about science fiction and stuff, but then the other half, they serialize books and they're, they take the Audible uh, book and they break it up. Like in the case of Hard Magic, it was like, it took almost an entire year. Um, you know, they broke it up into so many parts. And so I wanted to go all the way back to the beginning and listen, listen to those, catch those books up too. And so that then, you know, when I got caught up on that one, then I went back and added some more podcasts and 
when I get caught up on those, then I might look at adding some more. Very cool. Once you get accustomed to that level of speed, it's really hard to go back. And the same is true when you have a hosting provider. Once you get used to a really fast hosting provider like DigitalOcean, it's really hard to go back. Uh, so let me tell you about our friends over at DigitalOcean. They, they, they're built on speed. Uh, their entire purpose is to deliver you the the best, uh, fastest performance possible. Everything they do is hosted on KVM machines, uh, which is as close to bare metal as you can get in virtual machines. All of their machines are hex core or better machines. They have dedicated ECC RAM. All of their storage is SSD based. You can spin up a new droplet, is what they call a new virtual machine, in less than a minute. That's ridiculous. To go from nothing to something in 53 seconds, you just don't find that in the real world. It takes the virtual machine to do that. I, I defy you, Chris, with all of your Fedora wizardry to spin up a Fedora distro in 53 seconds. Can I write? Can I pre-write the <laughs> kickstart file before? No. <laughs> oh, I don't think I could do it then. Yeah. If I could pre-write it, though, I might. But at DigitalOcean, if you say you want a Fedora server running a LAMP stack in Drupal, that is one click, and less than a minute later, you're good to go. You don't get that anywhere else. Also, speed the gigabit network interface. Everything they got is is gigabit. That that's at that point, the rest of the internet is kind of or you're kind of waiting on the rest of the internet. Uh, rather than, than the rest of the internet waiting on you. If you got multiple servers or you're just not really into servers and you just want to handle it, um, uh, you know, just talk with your app in a certain way. They've got an API for, for developers like that. But the, my favorite thing about it, not only are they high quality, but they're cheap. Now, they're, they're inexpensive. Cheap has a negative connotation. Um, $5 a month is their basic plan. For that, you get a half a gig of RAM, a single core processor, 20 gigs of uh, storage space, and a terabyte of transfer a month. Your blog, your WordPress blog is not going to hit a terabyte no matter how much reddited or dugged or whatever you get. It, uh, you know, if you, if, uh, it's just not. The $5 a month thing is perfect for your family blog, for your, you know, photo sharing thing. It's great for that. If you need something a little more, jump up to the $10 a month thing. You get a gig of RAM, a single core processor, 30 gigs of storage, and two terabytes of transfer. Or you can go all the way, all the way up to like $300 a month if you're doing real uh, enterprise stuff. But if you use the code Everyday Linux when you sign up, you don't have to pay anything to get started. If you you get a $10 credit, they're putting as I say their money where my mouth is. If for, so with a $5 plan you get 2 free months just by using the code everyday linux when you sign up. They're so confident and I too am so confident in their service that they're willing to let you try it for 2 months at no cost because they know it is so good you're going to keep coming back and paying them more. DigitalOcean.com. Use the code Everyday Linux when you go. Let them know that to you that we sent you. Uh, we will thank you, and you will thank yourself for having done it. Now, yeah. having said all of that, uh, let's do a little bit of old news for our old show. Um, oh, that makes almost <laughs> that almost makes me feel sad. Well, I just mean old in that by the time they're listening to it, it's a month old. Yeah, because it's already old now when we're recording. Right. So, <laughs> so Seth would like you to know that you can now use Google Maps without an internet connection. This isn't an entirely new thing, but they've expanded what they've offered. Yeah, well, no, actually, in the past, it has been like other services kind of caching the Google Maps. But now um, Google Maps has begun rolling out in offline mode. Um, and it's just really good, like out where I live and places like that where you don't always have a cell signal or you get like that 
you get bars, but not necessarily service. And if you live out in the country, you know what I mean, that more bars doesn't equal more service. But now users can download a regional map, like a city or a county, and by going and doing download in offline areas. And it works really cool. And then you can switch back to online when a connection becomes available. So I am really glad, for one, that Google has done this. This is something that really does hit me right where I live. Thank you, Google. If you're worrying about eating up your data, uh, it'll only download, it'll only update via Wi-Fi when you're charged, when you're plugged in. So that's great. So at home, uh, when you're plugged in, when you're charging, it'll update those maps. Now you're not going to get like the up to the minute traffic and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, where Seth lives, traffic is a cow and a horse. Um, so it's not a real issue for him. That's right. <laughs> um, and like everything Google does, it's going to come bits and pieces somewhat randomly and you'll get, uh, uh probably, I don't know if you'll get a notification or if it'll just be a, a button that you will show up. I would guess it's going to be a button that'll just magically appear or the ability will magically just show up in your, in your, in your options. Um, cause I, I've been looking for it for a while and Waze has had it for a little bit, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm, I'm not even gonna, I'm just gonna just go wax rhapsodic a little bit more about Google maps, Google maps, uh, and, and now ways, uh, since they're sort of the same entity, uh, it's just, it's just, a, you should use it even if you know where you're going, you just should, um, because it, the, going back to my bent uh, toward uh, better services by giving information, the more information you, you give it, like, you know, just having it running when you go to the store, even if you know where you're going, it gets better. And it starts, particularly if you live in an urban area, it, it really gets good at, at giving you alternate routes and basing uh, what where you need to go based on the time and that sort of stuff. Now, you know, both of you guys live in fairly rural areas. You're probably not going to see the great benefits of that. But me in the Atlanta area, um, I have seen great value to just throwing my phone in the dock and having Google Maps going, even if I know exactly where I'm going, because I might get halfway there and it says, hey, here's a better route. And Every time. I'm not kidding. That's not an exaggeration. Every time it has actually been a better route. Hey, um, are y'all hearing me now? Yes. Okay, I just I went in while we were talking to see, and what happens is when you go to the offline areas, it brings up a overlay, and you can, like, go to where you want and download, and it tells you the download will be so much, and it tells you how much space is available on your phone. So you can choose the area you download. So, there you go. Kind of cool. Thank right. you, Google. I'm cherry picking the list here because this one looks interesting. Germany wants to make sure that you have the ability to resell your ebooks. That's something that I've complained about many times. Not only can you not resell them, you can't even loan them. But the German Consumer Protection Ministry uh, wants to change that, at least in their country. Yes, they are calling for consumers to have the right to resell any ebooks they buy. Um, the way things work right now is that consumers don't buy an ebook, and we all know this and we've lamented this fact. You were basically purchasing a license that says if you're real nice and give up your firstborn, you're allowed to periodically look upon the stuff you paid for. Um, and with few exceptions, this practice holds true. Um, maybe go to the Netherlands, you can do it there. But now they want to change this and they are proposing that the principle of exhaustion which is also known as the exhaustion doctrine 
And just real simple, that means like when you buy a book from somebody, their um, their IP rights on that book are gone, and you can take that book and you can do whatever you want to with it. And they're wanting it to be applied to eBooks as well. Um, so again, I think this is cool, and it's one of those things that can their protection. They're saying that consumers ought to have the right to resell books uh, and they can give a legal opinion. However, it's not legally binding until someone takes the case to court, but it does set a precedent. So come on, Germany. I think Germany is big enough that if this passes there, that could influence the world. Yeah, well, Germany has had that ability in a couple of times. The the right to be forgotten thing, which yep. I think is pretty dumb, uh, started there and is sadly spreading across the globe. So maybe this is making up for the right to be forgotten. I don't know if that's enough to make up for the right to be forgotten, <laughs> to tell you the honest truth. Who are y'all again? Sorry. <laughs> um, just in case you're not sure what I'm talking about, in Germany you can go to search engines and require them by law to remove links to things that that you don't find flattering about you on the web you can't remove the source material but you can move the links to it and and the reason there is that that uh, the german powers that be decided that there is a fundamental right to be forgotten and and i this is something that i talk to my kids about you know when i grew up if i did something stupid a handful of people knew about it and it was it was forgotten in this internet world when you post that stupid youtube video it's there forever so i get mm -hmm. that 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 there is a there is a danger Danger is probably too strong a word, but there is a downside to this publicness and this always, uh, you know, the, the always archived nature of the Internet. But I don't think it's something that you can fix by law. I think you have to fix it by behavior. Uh, like the, the when Jennifer Lawrence's naked pictures were all over the Internet, that you can't make that not be all over the Internet. But you can have a society that is evolved enough to not go look at uh, naked pictures of a woman who didn't want them out there. So the way you mm -hmm. fix that is by fixing society, not by le legislating. Now, one is much slower than the other. It takes a generation to fix a society or more. Um, but until you fix the society, the laws are irrelevant anyway. But maybe one of the ways you fix the society is by pointing out the issue. You know, now you can talk about a right to privacy and you can point to this the way it is in Germany, and then that will give you a way to talk about and explain how you know you're not you know you're not trying to you know rape otters or anything like that. You just don't want people knowing your business, and it's you know, and, and maybe you don't want it. Maybe the same thing is true with encryption, right? Right now, if you run a Tor tunnel or an encrypted tunnel, that immediately flags you as somebody to be watched because it's so unusual. Maybe the the benefit of this publicness is that you'll realize, oh yeah, everybody's stupid, um, and it doesn't stand out all that much when this public figure is stupid because there's so much stupidity all over the place. So, uh, you know, maybe in this case, the desensitization could work toward changing the culture. If maybe. we're lucky, we're not. Uh, <laughs> no, we're not. I'm, I'm trying to be helpful, but it, it my, my. Too transparent. Throughout thousands of years of recorded and millions of years of not recorded human history, we have proven one thing, and that is that when given the opportunity to do the wrong thing, we will do it in mass. Yep. And then some. You know, if you're religious, you call that the total depravity of man. If you're not religious, you call it people are stupid. But either way, they're both true statements. 
Um, yeah. Another thing that is both true and frightening is that companies are getting together to try to figure out how to track you by using things other than cookies because we don't want that. So they got to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, this is something that is already there. Um, and privacy advocates have been warning federal authorities of this threat. And it, what happens is it uses an inaudible high frequency sound to surreptitiously track a person's online behavior across a range of devices such as a phone, TV, tablet, and computers. Um, and the way they'll do this is they'll embed an ultrasonic pitch into a TV commercial um, and then when they encounter an ad displayed on a computer browser. And you can't hear the sound with your human ear, but nearby tablets and smartphones can detect it. And when they do, they can drop a browser cookie and then they can link the person who uses this TV because, you know, TVs are smart TVs now and they have IP addresses and um, Mac addresses. And so the person who uses this TV is the same person that uses this tablet. So my tab, the tablet only gives a portion of their, you know, consuming media consumption. The TV gives another portion of their media consumption. Now you get a more richer um, thing so you can more specifically target them with ads. That's just crazy. And why? Well, that's, as I said, this technology has been around for a long time, but what most people don't know is that all, um, commercials are preceded by it's either infrasonic or, or ultra low. I can't remember which uh, ultrasonic or infrasonic um, sound that um, can be used. That's how these devices that skip commercials for you automatically. That's how they know um, right. when uh, radio programs do the same thing. I know for a fact in radio, they use infrasonic ultra low frequency when there's a hard break and they're going to a stop. They will tell the computers running it uh, that even if this show, this host is still talking, to run the ad um, at this time. Uh, so these this technology has been around since the 70s, probably. Um, and now they're just using that thing and integrating it with the fact that you have a speaker that my phone, for example, one of the selling points of the Moto X is that I can say, you know, my, my wake-up phrase anytime. Well, that means there's a mic running all the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, congratulations. Now all your base are belong to us. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if you like mute the microphone on your tablet or phone or computer. I mean, I wonder if that's enough to block this. It all depends on how much control they have over the hardware. If the hardware mute, if it's a hardware mute, yes. If it's a software mute and they control the software, no. So if they're in bed with Windows and you've got a Windows laptop, then it won't matter. Right. Yep. Well, and then, it, it, you know, we have set how many different flash pieces that are running on websites to start with anyway that could turn on your microphone right and they ask permission for it and you gave them permission the one time you wanted to use it yep but it's and that permission's it's always there yeah so it, it's interesting to see that they're bringing this that this is being used i wonder how long it's going to be until somebody comes up with an ad blocker for the, those frequencies that they you know you can add into your browser oh these but the the, the the good thing is this requires large scale collusion and yeah. and that is somewhat rare because these same people who are colluding colluding uh, would need to collude are also competing so you might have uh, a website owned by Disney also look listen, running ads by Disney listening in 
but the odds of of uh, a an AOL Time Warner um, also being involved there are pretty low. So you're going to be giving information to the same s- super company, um, if not across company. So that that makes it a little more. I'm trying to no, put a spin on this. It's <laughs> not it working. Takes, all it takes no. is an ad company. You know, yeah. and it doesn't take Google's AdSense, but it takes a company having ads on AdSense. And, you know, most people are on Facebook, so you could buy ads on Facebook that have the ability to drop this cookie. You know, go to other websites. You know, lots of people yeah. go to ESPN because, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, fantasy football, <laughs> people are very heavy espn users and so then you can the same company the same agency can have ads on espn and college and football and basketball and baseball and all of that and they can tie them together that way and where i the the guy that they called upon to engineer this i would have one set of ads listening and one set of ads producing so that I can track your content across multiple devices. I know what you're doing on your your phone and on your desktop because uh, many people have both of those things open doing different things, second screen things. Um, yep. So, And I can also use the GPS in your phone to know where you are when you're reading this article. Ah, I, the, the fact that I could figure that out in just a few seconds means it's already done and in production right now. Yep, and somebody's already probably paid big money for it let's let's move on to some better news like for example western digital will let all your stuff be hacked with because it's easy wait that's not better what? yes but this <laughs> this is a uh, a security paper um entitled hw crypto and the link will be in our show notes you can go get it but several versions of the self-encrypting hard drives from western digital are riddled with so many security flaws that attackers with physical access can retrieve the data with little effort and in some cases they don't even need to know the decryption password um and it's a 36 page paper and it raises questions about the reliability of untested encryption um, built into consumer devices um what you should do is use some type of hard drive full disk encryption such as TrueCrypt. Yeah. And and of course this makes the tinfoil hat people immediately wonder if these were in fact mistakes or intentional uh yeah. that uh, that the NSA has a deal with these people to make hardware encryption laughably easy but to hide it so that it looks like mistakes so that they're not culpable. You know, right, I on have the same no note Or go ahead, Chris. Okay. So on the same note though, this just goes to prove that if you have physical access though, they can, you know, physical access trumps everything. No matter what type of security you put in place. If it's a even if it's a true crypt volume, if you have physical access to the to the volume, eventually you'll crack it. The question is now is just though how laughable is their encryption keys? Which but, from you the know, sounds of it are pretty laughable. Yeah. I um I have no problem believing that this is just some idiot. Um, it doesn't take government level bureaucracy to produce this kind kind of idiotic idiocracy, because somebody whose pet 
or somebody they used to use a TrueCrypt variant, but now that TrueCrypt isn't being developed, that means all of a sudden it's insecure garbage and can't be used. And so we have to go get this other thing that my friend's golf buddy overheard his 13 year old talk about with a former classmate that this one thing was doing it, except he misspelled three letters and got this other thing that is uses, you know, one bit encryption. Mm -hmm. So um, I have no problem believing in it doesn't take government conspiracies to make something this stupid. It just takes your average um, corporate weenie, corporate weenies manager who won't let the guy use the open source product he knows because that's open source. We need this one that costs money. Um, Yeah. Oh, golly. Yeah, and and the you're right, Seth. the The solution to that problem is uh, the solutions that are already out there, the high quality open source stuff that already exists, and the people who already know how to use it. And if you want to be one of those people who knows how to use it, our friends over at the Linux Academy can help you do that. Their stated position is to take you. Their goal is to take you from being uh, a, a a computer moderate, not quite a novice, but certainly a a moderate computer user, to a guy who is ready to start his new career as a Linux certified professional. They do this, by the way, they're step-by-step video courses that are time-coded with PDF study guides so that you can read as you watch. They've got this amazing lab infrastructure so that you can uh, practice while you go. That There's so much more than I can tell you about in just this short ad, the, 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 but the lab alone is reason enough to pay these people $50 a month. It's such an amazing um, uh, opportunity to to practice in a safe environment, running on first-class hardware uh, with, you know, uh, structured environment that that it would totally be worth $50 a month except that it doesn't cost anywhere near $50 a month their basic price their starting point is $29 a month a cup a gourmet pizza and you've gone over $29 that's that's even if you're a bad tipper so that's the most that you can pay for uh, hundreds of video trainings, for a, an a la carte lesson browser that lets you pick where you want to be, for uh, a track, uh, an online uh, tracking system that tells you where you've been, where you want to be, uh, a customizable lesson plan generating de- uh, software so that you can say, I have three hours every second Thursday and I want to learn this certification. It'll tell you what you need to study, when you need to study. It sends you uh, emails reminding me what you need to be do- doing. You can quiz it, uh, take online quizzes to make sure you've got the stuff and then when you're done you hook right into the the certification people the uh, CompTIA or LPIC who who are already uh, partnered with these people you can you can go right from learning to getting your certification uh, seamlessly because these people have also partnered with the Linux Academy and recognize their good all of that for $29 a month except that that's that's the most you can pay you. It's easy to pay less than $29 a month. If you want to buy three months at a block, that's $69 for the quarter. So there's a break right there. If you want to buy annually, $229 a year, which breaks down to less than $19 a month. Or if you use the code EverydayLinux when you sign up or go to elementopi.com slash Linux Academy and go to that link there, you will pay even less than that because we have special price breaks uh, that they've set up for us. So go check them out, linuxacademy.com. You Use the code Everyday Linux. Let them know that we sent you, and you can get started on an entirely new career for less than the cost of a pizza every month. Now, what else can you say? <laughs> that now let's move on to this thing. The because this I know made Seth happy and made me insane. Tizen, the the grandson of Migo, the zombie OS that will not die, 
is now the fourth largest mobile OS. Now, fourth largest means it's on like 10% of all devices, but still No, numbers. not like a tenth of a percent <laughs> of all devices. No, um, global smartphone shipments grew over 10% uh, year over year in the third quarter of 2015. And Android got an increase and Apple got an increase. Um, um, Microsoft, BlackBerry, and Firefox all went down while Tizen posted tangible growth and rose in the rankings. Um, and this is all from an article from strategyanalytics.com. Uh, you can kind of go and take it and see. The report, it just shows basically there's lots of room in the mobile um, handset place. You know, you've got your you've got your 800-pound gorilla, you got your 600-pound gorilla, you got your 2-pound monkey, but you can have a lot of 8-ounce uh, embryos waddling around supporting people. Uh, so I don't know. I, I mean, they're number four, so they overtook BlackBerry. Which, you know, I mean, I don't know. I could probably break my Android in half and both of those could overtake BlackBerry. Um, but, yeah, they're number four. It's growing. Um, I think it's a good thing. Of course you do. Um, yeah, well, competition is always a good thing. So I'm fine with that. But this is this just totally smacks of uh, of the classic using numbers to make something uh, appear the way you want it to appear. This, this makes it seem like Tizen is a big thing, but it's so not, it is a small percent of a small thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's growing. So, you know, that's the <laughs> it thing. Is growing. Uh, uh, who's it? Uh, somebody, uh, some manufacturer, I'm blanking on who it is, uh, is using Tizen on their hardware. And I'm sure that is what uh, resulted in its growth because it's the, the basic uh, infrastructure for their stuff. And I think, I think if I don't, if I remember correctly, that uh, the OnePlus guys are looking at using that in the future as well. If yeah, I think it was Samsung is putting it on some TVs. Um, I don't remember exactly, but yeah. So you know, I like I like for there being you know one or two big players, and then some other smaller players that are also viable. So I don't like it when there's only one or only two. I like it when there's at least, you know, at least a third one out there that even if it's small, it's viable. So, All right. So now let's nice. jump into our article that, or excuse me, our interview that was pre-recorded with Mark Rays of the Linux of the, excuse me, the really Linux uh, um, website. This, this guy is high power, high energy, and you're going to enjoy this interview because I enjoyed doing it. So take it away, Mark Rays. Let's just start, instead of me trying to introduce you, Mark, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do, and why should we care? Wait, that's a little rude, but yeah, let's just go with that. <laughs> no, that's no, that's very fair. And uh, look, so I've been tinkering with uh, computers since I was about eight. Uh, most of my tinkering was uh, with software. So I got into software development with a company called America Online and also was part of Netscape uh, when we did the uh, Netscape uh, purchase. So I've done a bunch of things, but most of them have been around software development and uh, IT infrastructure. And uh, so I spent a lot of my years in the open source world, uh, especially around Linux, LAMP stack, and uh, applying Apache servers and Linux servers to enterprise. Uh, so that's basically, in a nutshell, to balance out my incredibly sedentary life sitting behind computer monitors, I also coach football for youth. And by football, do you mean soccer or football? Ah, 
You see that you guys are calling me in New Zealand, so that's fair enough. No, I mean American football, okay. the one where you put on the helmet and smash the the other guy. <laughs> Helmets and pads version. So, or as we Helmets like to say, real football. and mouthpieces. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Every time I say that, somebody somebody from uh, uh, Australia tells me, "No, rugby is real football." Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's fair enough. I, I'll leave it at that. So you got your start uh, professionally, you said, with AOL. So that's a a, uh, a company that at one time ruled the world. Um, not so much anymore. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you got got your start, not just that job, but what, what got you into these funky things called computers? Yeah, no worries. Uh, well, if you go way back when uh, my mom and dad didn't have a lot of money, and so I tended to use the computers of school. And when I say computers, at the time, actually, my, my school had uh, just gotten a a batch of these Atari computers that were used for writing basic and learning the most simplistic things, if that makes sense to you. And uh, my friend and I just started hacking these things because we wanted to play games on them. And so uh, that really drove the the school administration a little bit annoyed. Uh, I had to talk to the principal. And eventually what happened is that my mom and dad said, oh, we've got to get this kid a computer for of his own. And my mom put in, uh, you know, those sweepstakes you get in the mail and no one ever cares about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well uh, she actually wrote back into one, and they, they offered to a free computer right, for, for school use or whatever, and she actually won the sweepstakes. Wow. And we got this little black and white TV and this Timex Sinclair 1000 with the 16-kilobyte <laughs> expansion RAM pack, and I was on my way to my computer world at that point. That's awesome. Wow, that, that, that predates my TRS-80 even. Uh, that's uh, yes it does it, well just about the same time frame yeah pretty uh, close that's good stuff and so you uh like uh, like many uh, geeks you were you were better with computers than you were with people i assume and uh that's that's the way most of us are and and you you went went from there yeah i mean at that point i realized that i actually really enjoy interacting with these machines because i could tell them what to do as opposed to everybody else who doesn't <laughs> want to listen to me so that that's pretty much the, the synopsis well you mentioned that you worked for with netscape and um so tell us a little bit about that were you like um pre-aol netscape or um how did that how did that come about no, that's great. Uh, so long story made short, there's a great gentleman named Ira Sharfglass who was the head of a particular division in Netscape. And um, he he wanted somebody who had a significant amount of publishing experience. And at the time, I had been working in the AOL publishing group. Basically, I was a tech manager running all publishing operations for AOL. And uh, Ira Sharfglass and a couple of those guys, Greg Stewart and some uh, finest leaders I've dealt with, uh, they said, hey, let's get Mark involved. Netscape was working on a whole bunch of like the MySpace uh, type of projects, the social media type of things that they were starting to t uh, tinker with. We had obviously uh, the cohesion between Netscape and America Online had uh, just occurred. And so they were trying to figure out what to do with all these personnel and how to move personnel between the two teams or, or the two companies, if that makes sense. So they flew me out to Mountain View and I I had a bunch of meetings out there and uh, away we went. We just started working on a bunch of uh, projects together. Um, very quickly, uh, you know, things were, were growing. So I ended up, I, I wasn't with the Netscape team more than about a year because I ended up uh, on another publishing project, the AOL personal finance project, uh, shortly after that. 
But that's how I ended up with the Netscape team. And I just have a, even to this day, uh, some of the smartest guys I've ever dealt with in the computer world. Uh, and I really have a, just kind of a, a great memories of working with those guys. That's great. So that you, you started cool. with your Timex Sinclair doing basic. Um, yep. And then sometime between then and, and uh, now you were with AOL and then Netscape. What, what got you into Linux? How did you get from, from basic to Linux? Yeah, so, I mean, look, at the university, uh, most of us have been playing with Minix. You know, you have to do Minix work anyway to do for computer science uh, classes and such. And I was taking computer science, but I was also taking uh, technical writing at uh, the university. And I was very interested in helping people to get the most out of their computers. So I started writing manuals and things. We had a, an a operating system that we were using. These were the days when, you know, you had like Stratus mainframes, right? So these are the days of mainframes. And nobody knew how to use the university mainframe properly. So I just ended up writing my own book, publishing it, pissing off the, the university IT department, <laughs> and, and basically handing out this book to people so they could better use the mainframe. Of course, I was telling them stuff like how to do FTP and do multi, uh, you know, just doing things that, that the IT department wasn't particularly happy with. But that got me started in the world of Linux because a few of my friends, they had picked up some Linux CV, uh, CDs and just said, hey, let's start tinkering with this. And we would go to their basement and just start playing with them, creating bulletin board systems that were running on Linux um, just making a, a, all sorts of mischief happen with these Linux machines. But I never really thought of Linux as, I mean, I thought of it as a hobbyist, right? So you, you put in the CD and you tinker with this thing. Very similar to what we were doing with Minix in the classes. But um, then I started working for America Online, and we came up on a project where we were trying to replace a bunch of large, at the time, of very brand new Sun 4500 servers. Right. And I don't mean like one or two of them. We're talking about, you know, dozens of these things and they were running back end databases. And so uh, as a project uh, lead, I was trying to figure out how we could deal with this fact that we were having these multi-million dollar uh, hardware costs hit our department and we were not getting performance out of them. And at the time, Red Hat was just starting to push its enterprise systems. And uh, we had a couple of really great Red Hat engineers come and say, hey, we can make this work for you. And we basically migrated our database and our, our tiered backend platform to a bunch of Dell dual CPU machines running Red Hat Linux that was finely tuned. And we got better performance out of about $60,000 worth of Dell equipment than we were getting out of uh, probably a million dollars worth of Sun equipment. And it was at that moment that I realized, wow, Linux and what it can do is profound beyond you know the enterprise world, but it could it could help so many businesses. It could help all these uh, nonprofits. It could do some things, and that's really how I got started in Linux, and what really kickstarted my entire drive to push Linux and promote Linux for businesses. Very cool. All right, just a little history lesson for our audience. Uh, you mentioned Minix, which uh, stands for Mini Unix. It was a it was a That's small correct. subset of the Unix codes at a clone uh, that was proper pop, popularly used. It was under the BSD license, used around colleges. Mm -hmm. And a fellow that somebody might have heard of by the name of Linus Torvalds decided he would make his version of Minix. And one of the uh, the uh, server admins when he asked for a place on the server said, "What are you going to call it?" He said, "I don't. Well, it's Minix." He's all right. I'll call it Linus's Minix. So it became Linux. So just a little bit of history there. Linux uh, <laughs> directly came from Minix, which directly came from Unix. That's right. That's right. And BSD, 
a lot of right. BSD. My wife will always point out, talk about BSD because um, she used to do all the, the uh, development for BSD. <laughs> she used to write all sorts of device drivers for BSD. Oh, wow. And BSD is wow. still out there too. So. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, one of the, well, anyway, I'm not even going to go that way. So, so you, <laughs> sorry about that. You got uh, Red Hat. So you sort of got in bed with Red Hat early because they were the only people offering you a customized solution for what you needed to do. Absolutely, and it was unique because at the time it was it, it was massively in their interest to uh, tie into an enterprise like America Online and to prove their capabilities, and it was massively in our interest, that being uh, our specific um, the the uh, project that I was on, to make this work as well because all of the uh, the CEOs and all the big guys were watching us, going, "Okay, is this actually going to work, or is this some kind of a, a crazy idea?" And, and of course, the irony is that. What it did in my own career and my own view of Linux wasn't that, you know, I, I already knew it could do enterprise work. But the question was, well, what can Linux do now? I mean, I'm holding in my hand, you know, it, technically speaking, it, you can hold these in it right now. I've actually got a CD right here. Uh, I'm holding Linux in my hand, and this can now help run a school. It can help run a small business. It can, it can re resolve all sorts of licensing issues. And so I, I became profoundly interested in what else we could do now that I've seen its capabilities. So I got excited, I guess is the right way to put it. I got all pumped up. I started getting <laughs> adrenalized, and I started going out there and uh, being part of the Linux community, uh, Linux user groups, and just trying to promote the use of Linux through writing articles. And I tried to crank out as many articles as I could about, hey, you can do this with Linux in a school environment or in an education environment or in a government environment. Um, just, uh, I guess I became kind of an evangelist for Linux because I, I just was so pumped up on it. So did the Really Linux website start out as just a repository for your articles? Oh, that's great. So uh, really, Linux actually started out, there's a, a great engineer named John Wynn. He was working uh, for me uh, when we were at, at AOL, and we needed a, uh, to develop some infrastructure and cre actually create an internal intranet for project management work. And I said, okay, we're going to set up a Linux server. And John Wynn and I just sat down. And this was late nights where we just, uh, we had time. We just worked on setting up Linux servers at AOL for intranet uh, purposes. And as I was doing so, I kept forgetting commands and things. You know, I mean, I had so many bloody things on my uh, mind. And so I said, okay, I can't keep it all in my head. I'm just going to put it somewhere. And John said, well, why don't you just make a website and dump all that stuff there? Then wherever you go, you can just always pull from it and he can pull from it. And uh, I said, that's fine. So I just started writing up all the commands I was using. I was started up writing up uh, all the basic uh, setup and configuration for Apache. And I uh, put it up on this website that I said, really Linux. And at the time, I, had, I don't think I gave it a lot of thought, but, uh, you know, the, the term really Linux.com actually came from the fact that I kept uh, pestering people. I said, look, Relix is really, uh, Linux is really free. <laughs> it's really fast. It's really flexible. That's really Linux. And that's where the uh, website name came from. And the result is that all of my brain dump went to the website. And from there, it kind of grew into this. It actually kind of metamorphosized into this bigger thing. Your website has a copyright on it of 1999, so that's how long that's you've the been first, dumping things. That's the first article that got put up there, yes. that Actually, wow. the first article that got put up there was uh, basic Linux commands, which uh, uh, I still use, to be honest with you, because there's some <laughs> uh, some switches uh, on those commands that I have never bothered to memorize, and I just use my website for. Yeah, every time that's I have to drop right. into Vi for some reason, I have to go straight to a website because exactly. <laughs> nobody exactly. knows Vi. 
Yeah, or e- I mean, uh, I st- well, Emacs, whatever. You know, I, yep. <laughs> it's so a, that's I really haven't cool. heard too many people use uh, Vi uh, for a long time. I mean, most people are doing Nano or whatever they're using now, Joe or whatever they have. But it's nice to hear that you are a Vi user. Only if I have to be, you know, <laughs> right. because it's everywhere, right? No matter where I'm on, I can count that's on right. Vi being there. Exactly. That's, and that's why that tool is there. No, absolutely. So what? So you, the site in 1999 was a, a repository for your own use. What is it today? Exactly. So well, look, actually, between 1999 and today, something very strange happened that I didn't expect. Uh, the first was that uh, I got approached to to write a book based on the website, reallylinux.com. So I ended up publishing with Eagle Nest Press a lot of the core ideas and principles behind how to set up Linux servers, how to do basic Linux work. Uh, and not at the enterprise level, but for the day-to-day user for small businesses. And I uh, ended up writing a book called Linux for the Rest of Us to try to promote the the principle of Linux use. And for some reason or another at the time, really Linux just picked up. And I started getting people from all over the world. I got uh, people basically started asking me if they could participate, uh, get involved, help write articles, moderate and I started to interact with some of the uh, some of probably the great guys uh, in the world of uh, open source and FOSS. Uh, Tony Mobley, who runs Free Software Magazine over in Perth, Australia. Uh, John Stevens, who's a contributing writer to Really Linux uh, back in Australia. Um, you probably know John Stevens because he's written a few uh, articles or a few books actually, uh, such as PHP uh, Five Recipes. Um, he works for the Hive Minds community. I got contacted by. Um, uh, you know, Mario, Mario Jim, who was in Brazil and had been a major uh, Linux user and a pushing Linux user groups in Brazil for Rio de Janeiro. And uh, John Watson up in Canada and uh, Raghavendra, who was in India. So all of a sudden, I went from a guy who's just created this website that he was using for his personal day-to-day uh, application of Linux to getting people involved worldwide who wanted to use Linux and also promote Linux. That's also how I met Jethro Carr, who is one of the uh, Linux user groups. He's the head of the Linux user group in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, so that's so that my whole world kind of exploded into this massive Linux community around 2002, 2003, when really Linux.com started getting picked up. That must have been a huge change in your thought process, though. We, we to ha- to have your personal site go from just your brain dump to a community must have really been a shock. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. It wasn't so much a shock as I was really pumped up. I, I went from a guy who said, ah, you know, whatever. And at night, maybe sometimes I would dump some information on it to um, it almost became a full time focus for me. And it, it got really ex- it exploded really massively, not so much from what I was doing, but the fact that I had all these people all over the world that were using the information to apply Linux in their specific context. And one of the neat things was I got, uh, there's a gentleman named um, Narendra Bahati who runs a uh, NGO, a non-government organization in India. And what had happened at the time, the Honorable um, Dr. Abu Kalam, who is the president of India, had realized that you cannot create schools in India. You know, if you're trying to teach a, uh, you know, half a billion children, you can't build a school building, hire teachers, and implement it that way. So their idea was to create knowledge centers in India. 
And at the time I was working with the LTSP project and the, the K-12 LTSP project, uh, which if you guys are not familiar with or anybody listening to it, they're fantastic. I These was guys are, active in that community years ago. That was, that was what got me into Linux, actually, was the, uh, the K-12 phenomenal. LTSP. Yeah, they're phenomenal. I, it, I mean, I can't say enough good things about these guys. So as a result, I was working uh, with LTSP um, and K-12 LTSP implementations. And I had met this guy, Narendra Bahadi, again, through Relinux.com and started to uh, give him some tips on how to apply this. And little did I know, within about half a year, he was meeting with the president of India about the utilization of Moodle and the K-12 LTSP in India to create knowledge centers so that every village, you know, they have, you know, 65,000 villages or whatever, that every village in India would have access within about 20 kilometer radius to a knowledge center. And those knowledge centers would apply a K-12 LTSP server with a whole bunch of reused you know, antiquated machines that were put on the LTSP and running Moodle and access to the internet. And so it became this massive thing. And the, um, the United Nations Development Program uh, got in touch with me because they wanted to know how this is going to work and can we apply this in Africa and some of the other places. So I ended up actually helping YMCA Africa set up a huge number of LTSPs or, or the, you know, to, to apply that premise to educating uh, kids in Africa as well. Oh, cool. So you really wow, had a big amazing. hand in a lot of things. Well, I, I wouldn't call it a big hand. I all I did was just kept telling people use Linux, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the rest, the rest they did. <laughs> the voice in the wilderness. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and, it only but, takes one. Uh, that's right. By the way, a good friend of ours uh, runs a, a podcast called Linux for the Rest of Us. He totally stole your your title. I'll, I'll That's fantastic. I, I hope that he – how's he doing anyway? Is he still promoting? Oh, yeah. He's been going for years now. That's fantastic. Uh, Look, I, I mean, I, I cannot say enough good things about everybody in the Linux community. Whenever we promote uh, the idea of free open source software and we're pushing that out, you have no idea who is going to touch. You have no idea how many people it's going to you know, solve problems for. I never expected what I, you know, I got involved with when I was creating reallylinux.com. But now if I look back and go, wow, you know, 15 years later, right? So really Linux was, the first promotion we did was in 2000. So um, really Linux has been going for 15 years. And now 15 years, the number of people who've told me, oh, yeah, we've we set up a class because of this. Or we've saved, you know, thousands of dollars because of this. And a lot of these are nonprofit organizations. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of excess out there. So to just realize how much Linux has touched these folks, uh, you know, it, it, that's, what, that's what it's all about. So I'm, I'm glad to hear about your friend. Uh, the more, the merrier. The more people are promoting Linux and open source software, the better, as far as I see it. So we told you we'd only keep you about a half an hour, and we're getting close to that mark. Uh, so just to to look toward the future, we we we've looked at the past and the present. What is uh, not not just really Linux, but but your Linux evangelism? What what do you think that's going to look like in the next five years? Yeah, look, I mean, Linux took a very strange turn, as I mentioned to you back in two thousand six, when we went from nobody heard of Linux and nobody cared about, it, and it was just something that was there to, to became mainstream and most people didn't really care anymore about the technology. I think from my standpoint, that's okay. That uh, it's no longer about promoting Linux, but it's promoting solutions that are driven by open source software, for example, where it, it uh, unhinges people from licensing. So I think in the next five years or so, you're going to see even more of that. Obviously, you saw a huge boost when Google uh, moved to that environment, when um, you saw Oracle 
uh, driving that. And so I think in the next five or 10 years, you're going to see many more organizations that are actually utilizing Linux as core infrastructure, like Amazon.com does, like Novell does, like IBM does, uh, like guys like Industrial Light and Magic do, um, or Weta Productions. And all these companies that are integrated Linux early, you're going to see that just continue to apply more and more to other organizations to the point in which I think no one's going to talk about Linux anymore. They're just going to talk about the solutions. And that's why I keep saying, well, you know, as long as you're aware that Linux drives it, that's good. But we just don't want to lose the fact that, the, you know, what, what is the driving tool behind what we're using? So I think five to ten years from now, you're going to see Linux become just ubiquitous in all of the environments that we're dealing with. And not just, you know, you've got an Android device. The irony is, by the way, Apple and uh, Microsoft are realizing this. And you know, as well as I do, Microsoft has been applying a lot of Linux use themselves. And they've become quite open to the open source community, which is a bit odd. But that's... You know, so things have changed, but I think in the next five to ten years, that's what's going to happen. That's you know that we'll see. If we do another interview in five years, we'll find out if I was right. <laughs> so one of one of my analogies I always use is nobody cares about the plumbing until the toilet starts backing up. Exactly. And, and Linux is becoming plumbing. It's just always there. It's always going to work. It's just, and you really only pay attention to it when it breaks. Um, that's exactly right. And or when you're trying to learn how to plumb a house. So we the sites like yours that are basic Linux for getting people started will always be necessary, but that level of uh, introduction and evangelism, that role is kind of going away because it's everybody already knows about it. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, and one thing I we could just say to point out Linux well, is... <laughs> oh, guys, are, you're talking over each other. Go ahead, Chris. Chris, go, go first. Ahead, Chris. I was say, it'll be interesting to see down the road when we end up at the at that point where Linux is completely plumbing and nobody remembers how to work on things in the underneath anymore. Well, that's when the uh, Linux admin can charge $80 an hour like the Linux, like the plumbers can. Exactly. <laughs> well said. Although $80 an hour, that's well, a very gracious. That's I'd true, say right? about 160 an hour. What do you say? <laughs> so I'm going to ask you the last question I always ask everybody. If nobody else hears anything else we did and they only listen to the next uh, 90 seconds of this show, what one thing do you want to make sure that they walk away with? I think that the most important thing people realize is that the open source software has done an incredible amount of good for the world, helped a lot of people in poor nations, uh, helped uh, industrialized uh, countries get you know significantly improvements to their education. So I think open source software is something that I'd still like to promote and tell people about uh, just so they're aware of it and not forget about how much it's made an impact. Good stuff. Mark, thanks for being with us. Uh, we, your passion is infectious. I find myself uh, even more excited uh, than I usually am. I want to go out and, and evangelize somebody. And I appreciate that you're, you know, you've been right there on the forefront for, for a decade and a half now. And, and you, need, you need some appreciation for that. So on the behalf of the community, I say thank you. I appreciate Definitely. that. And I, I really enjoy being part of your show. If you guys ever want me back for a little segue, I'm happy to do that. That'll be great. So Will thanks do. for being with us. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Good night, Mark. It's my pleasure. You have a good night. That was a great interview. An exciting guy. Uh, he makes me want to go out and do great stuff. Uh, thanks again, Mark, for hanging out with us. Yeah, and I just want to mention to everyone that you would not realize, looking at reallylinux.com, uh, that the guy behind it was such uh, so passionate and full of energy, zeal, and evangelism. So it's a great website packed full of information at the expense of fluff, which is the exact opposite <laughs> of the way websites are today. It looks like a website that somebody created for their own use. 
which it was. Yeah. yeah. He just hasn't changed it. Uh, he, the content is there, uh, just surrounded by just enough framework to keep it in one place. <laughs> I like uh, it though. It makes yeah. it, it makes it easy to navigate. Yeah. And you know, that discussion that we had about, uh, about Linux being the plumbing, um, you know, I, it, it, it just goes to show you that on this show, right? We, when we talk about Linux, we talk about the the fixtures, the the wall hangings, the the paint uh, coat of paint on it. We talk about uh, KDE versus uh, GNOME. We talk about uh, Emacs versus Vi. We never talk about Linux itself, the operating system, because it's just there. It's mature. It's stable. There's nothing really that need that needs to be done. It's all there. Um, you know, you can, you could say that this distro has a better installation routine and this one has a better hard drive formatting routine, but, but that's all window dressing on the foundation that is Linux. And that foundation is solid, um, and not going anywhere. Which Uh, is now bringing us the, you know, the internet of things, because even the little itty bitty light bulbs are running some form of, you know, embedded code that it could you could probably trace its route back to a Linux or Unix base. Yeah, the Linux Linux owns servers and devices, just outright. Um, Microsoft and uh, to a lesser extent Apple are fighting over the desktop. Microsoft pretty much still owns the desktop, but you know as we're seeing that is a receding market. People are aren't buying desktops as much anymore. They're buying uh, mobile devices, and and the, there's a new battleground there for mobile devices where even Tizen has a seat at the table. Just double tap it. Be done. (laughs) (laughs) It's too late. You had your chance. And and I think that also goes into uh, hand in glove with the reason that we're uh, rebranding the show to come back to that topic. Um, The reason we don't talk about Linux so much is because there's so little to talk about. So the you know calling it geek rant really frees us up to be more what we already are. So uh, it, it, these are all good things, right? Uh, the fact that that Mark's website looks like it was written in 1999 is a good thing because it, it's all about the content and not all about not all about the fluff. The the fact that uh, people don't need uh, uh, beginner guides to Linux anymore is a good thing because Linux is just there and and you may quibble over this or that, but anybody who can install anything can install Linux. That's the thing. If, if the people who have trouble installing Linux would have trouble installing any software. If you know how to install software, you can install Linux. The, the downside there is we're raising an entire generation. My kids, for example, don't know how to install software. They've never had to. They tap a button in the app store and it appears on their device, be, you know, be it iPad or, or Android or whatever. Um, even myself, I can't, I can't remember the last time I installed software. I used a, a package manager and it came to me. That that counts as installing software, but that's not me installing software. That's not me yeah. clicking through a bunch of dialog boxes. That's me going to the package manager and saying, give me that. And it churns for a minute and says, okay, now you have it. And yeah, when I use dot make commands anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so yeah, oh, even whenever Whenever I install Windows or install programs on my uh, Windows computers at home, or I'm setting up one for my dad, um, you know, I go to Nine Night and I just check the things I want, and I click Get Installer, and then I click Go, and then you know I come back a little while later and check and make sure everything got. I don't have to yeah. install software. So. 
So my point there is that the 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 act of installing stuff in general is becoming esoteric, and and there's only a, a small subset of people who know how to do that. That small subset can install Linux, can install Windows, can install Mac OS, can install whatever they want. They have the skill sets to install software. So it's just become another piece of of things. But as we mentioned earlier, Linux is the embed of choice, um, and as more and more devices come embedded, Linux is going to win the war of attrition everybody else is just going to fall away because linux is the end of choice because of the choices that were made decades ago to make it extensible and make it free and make it open those are what give it its power yep. what else can you say i mean that's pretty much uh, the flat line of the subject um <laughs> that's that's where it is that's why we've chosen it as our winner as the way we would look at it. Yeah, so it, this comes down to the real reason we're changing the show is because we won. So, you know, <laughs> my, my, it's whenever, a victory dance. When yep. Microsoft did a Linux distro, we realized we've won. We can move on and conquer something else now. That's right. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. We won. All right. Uh, so, Seth, tell us what happened this week in computer history, other than the the end of everyday Linux. What other world-changing thing happened this week? Well, I wanted to kind of keep the theme of things coming to an end. Um, and so I went back in the archives and dug through and found out that on December 31st, 1983, the AT&T Bell system was broken up by the United oh. States government because basically there was there was Bell. And right. then if you didn't they like won. using Bell for your phone, you could use Bell. Um, right. And so, uh, yeah, well, so they, they won, broke so up. they had to get broken up. Yeah. And then AT&T uh, spun off, and then Bell, baby Bells came out, Bell South, uh, Southwestern Bell, uh, North Atlantic Bell. Uh, th- it didn't change anything for anyone other than it changed a bunch of letterhead. Yep. No, it drove down long distance prices a whole lot. Long distance prices used to be super expensive, but they um they because AT and T Bell you owned everything, so they were the only carrier, and they could determine what they wanted. MCI said, "Hey, we want a fighting chance. AT and T is a monopoly. U.S. government help us." And um, you know, Mark, you commented several episodes ago. Um, about how it's pure capitalism, but big companies like AT&T are anti-capitalistic. They own the leverage. They own the juice. They they love regulations because they're big enough to meet those regulations, and they get to write them, and so they keep all the little players out. So this was a case that the government did its job. It realized the monopoly. It broke it up. It leveled the playing field, and we have cheaper phone uh cheaper phones as a result now unfortunately nobody cares about cheaper land phones anymore because everybody uses cell phones yeah. and, and they've it took, colluded to keep the prices high but it took a decade for that to happen south in in 19 in, in january 1st 1984 nothing was different but some letterhead uh but mm-hmm. it, you're right it did open it kicked down a door and it allowed mci worldcom and and sprint and these other people uh, uh singular the, the other people to come into into play and over while uh, over time they started buying the baby bells hostily over, uh, taking over the baby bells and things changed but it took a decade for that to happen and uh, any you know in the same way anything that we would do to alleviate the problem with uh broadband duopolies uh is going to take a decade to hammer out Yep. Yeah. Just 
because like you said, they were entrenched. They were the 800 pound gorilla. And there's only two ways to get rid of the 800 pound gorilla. You knock him out or you starve him to death. Um, and if he's or too both. big to knock out, <laughs> you got to starve him, uh, or, or make friends with him. Uh, right. So you can stab him in the back. Right. <laughs> At two brute. All right. That's, that's it. That's our Sneak last, attack. uh, this week in history. Um, do you have a, yes, you do a show closing spectacular Seth. What do you have this week to lower my productivity so that you seem like a higher, a better hiring opportunity? Uh, this one is really cool. This is a BuzzFeed article I came across a long time ago. I've been holding it in the pocket, and I thought it kind of uh, it kind of went well. 18 cool internet tricks you did not know about. Uh, a lot of them you probably do. You can do Control-Shift-T to open up a tab you recently closed. Um, you can hold S and right-click on an image to do a reverse image search. You can type do a barrel roll into Google and it will do a barrel roll. Um, you can type Atari Breakout in Google search and play Breakout. So um, there's just several different, 18 different things here. Um, you may know, you may not know. It will actually make you a more productive citizen of the internet, and it might make you be more productive until you get down and try to calculate the bacon number of any celebrity um, or <laughs> um, play retro video games in Google Images. So once you get down to those, I win. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's a, it's a slow game you're playing. It's a long tail. Slow right. Yeah, you know, well, when other people are entrenched, Mark, like you said, you can't just root them out. Well, this mute feature that the number 11, mute and annoying email thread in Gmail, that or the ignore feature in Outlook, that's a lifesaver. Like when somebody replies all to 300 people, and you get 300 people either politely saying, did you know you replied all and they replied all or laughing about it, shaking my head. Uh, yeah. Just ignore that and you never see it again. It's amazing. Yeah. Or somebody, better. somebody who has an out of office reply all oh, to somebody God. else who has an out of office reply all and then your, your email explodes. That, so. that hasn't been a problem in a long time because most uh, email servers started saying, we're only going to do this once a day. Right. But man, I, like 97, 98, that, it was oh, like yeah. robots talking to each other, taking over the world, filling inboxes. Somebody <laughs> would reply to a list and, and, and somebody on that list would have an autoresponder. Then the person with the autoresponder would get the thing from that list back and send another autoresponder, and the infinite regress would go on for two weeks until that person got back from vacation or until the list admin removed them from the list. Oh, yep. the dark old days of the Internet. Kids today don't know how good they have it. <laughs> oh, it should be... F that, that We should bring those things back every once in a while just to... Yeah, the pain. Just, just to, re to remind people about the pain that we throwback Thursday now... can take on a whole new meaning. <laughs> I love it. All right, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. That sends a, uh, gives you a nice form to fill out that sends a, a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox. You can send an email to edl at elementop.com or geekrant. I'm sure I'll set that up. 
Yeah, at lmnopie.com, <laughs> and that will go to all three of us. Uh, or you can call 559-IAM-OPIE and leave us a voicemail, and I will play it right there on the air. It has been an awesome year. We're closing out our fifth year of podcasting. Amazing. Super excited to be continuing on this ride with you. You, the listener, um, you are my hero. You are the reason that we keep doing this. Thank you so much for listening to us. I hope you had an amazing Christmas, and I hope the new year uh, offers blessings greater than you can imagine. Uh, Chris, Seth, any final words for 2015 and final words for Everyday Linux? Go ahead, Chris. I'm going to okay. Uh, I'm going to say, go read a book. Turn off the computer once in a while and be analog. I know it sounds weird coming from Everyday Linux and the command line Godfather, but it's good for you, and that's what I'm going to leave you with. I will never do that. I will listen to a book. Not going to read it. Seth, how about yourself? No, I just want to I just want to wish everyone a happy and super awesome spectacular new year. May it be the best year you've ever had. I can't add more to that. So all I'll say is that ends it for this series, this podcast, this chapter. Ev- yes, of Everyday Linux. <laughs>